Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin Butlers podcast. I am Mike Watkins, and with me, as always, my good friend and business partner, Matt Burke. Hello. And each week, we try and bring you an intellectually honest discussion about news and events affecting Bitcoin. If you like our content, please like and subscribe. We would be most appreciative. First, I'd like to bring up a concept that is very valuable to understand as we try and go through these different news stories and adoption events for Bitcoin. There's a quote that's incorrectly attributed to Mahatma Gandhi, and that is, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Regardless of the true origins of this quote, it is part of the Bitcoin adoption cycle. And as we've seen other new technologies emerge, I think we see or have seen a similar cycle with these other new technologies. So in my opinion, the iPhone is the single biggest technological advancement of our lifetime. And in 2007, the year that the iPhone was introduced, there's a famous interview with Steve Ballmer, who at the time was CEO of Microsoft, who in this interview, he, he, someone asked him about the iPhone and he bursts out laughing and he, he essentially mocks it. He says that I don't know how many people are going to buy the most expensive phone in the world, especially one that doesn't appeal to business customers because you can't do email on it because it has no keyboard. And we all know how that story played out. And the first story that we have in in this episode is similar to that where we have three U.S. senators who are unhappy that Fidelity Investments is allowing people to buy Bitcoin in their 401ks. Right. So uh, Senators Elizabeth Warren uh, Dick Durbin and Tina Smith sent a letter to Fidelity, uh, essentially to chastise them for allowing uh, 401k investors under their platform to allocate a portion of that retirement savings to Bitcoin. And the way that they describe it is that Fidelity's decision to do this is immensely troubling. Um, they argue that Bitcoin is a volatile, illiquid, and speculative asset that's unfit for retirement accounts of U.S. citizens. Um, they say that you know the the small amount of money on average that's in a Fidelity 401k it should not be put at risk um, with an asset that's unproven like Bitcoin. And you know the, their their question is you know how can why would Fidelity allow those um, who can save to be exposed to an untested and highly volatile asset like Bitcoin? So um, this is uh, this is clearly the then they fight you phase of that mm-hmm. cycle that we were talking about where um, rather than um, ignoring it because it's insignificant or making fun of it because you don't understand it, this is where they push back. And um, I have some, some opinions on why they're doing this. I, I think that, you know, we've seen Elizabeth Warren in particular uh, be very openly hostile towards Bitcoin. Um, she is notorious for spouting out, um, Bitcoin, uh, what she considers to be attributes of Bitcoin that are just absolutely not true when it comes to uh, volatility, environmental impact, the uh, whether it's been proven, the types of people that use it. Everything that she's pretty much said about Bitcoin um, that I've read on some level has been wrong. Um, even going back to her complaints about the environmental impact, and you know, she'll she'll talk about how a Bitcoin transaction uses more energy than X. When just on its face, that's ridiculous because a Bitcoin, a transaction on the Bitcoin network itself does not use energy. So, you know, that begs the question, is she is she really that ignorant about something that she's so passionately against or is she actually familiar with it to where she feels the need to make up lies about it in order to disparage it and try to, you know, sway people away from it? What is your theory? You know, at this point, I'm starting to think that it's that it's a little more um, sinister than just ignorance. Um, and we yeah. talked about this a good bit last week with uh, with you know Elon Musk selling uh, Tesla 75% of Tesla's Bitcoin, and we talked about the idea of is this because he understands it or because he doesn't understand it? And I think that you know 
it's hard to say exactly what her level of knowledge is. How many hours has she studied Bitcoin and does she really get it? That I have no idea. But it seems to me, based on how wrong she is in all of these things, that she's really that it seems somewhat dishonest and that she probably knows better, but would rather uh, just encourage that level of, of FUD as opposed to actually having a debate with somebody about the pros and cons of Bitcoin. Well, if she did have a debate, it only ends. It, if she has a debate, it'll only end one way, assuming that the person she has a debate with is knowledgeable because everything she has thrown out that I've seen so far has been either intentionally misleading or misleading particularly when it comes to this, the energy debate on it. So, yeah, I, I think that that debate, assuming whoever is on the other side of it actually understands Bitcoin, it would just end in her complete humiliation on the subject. Um, so my question is, why do you think these three senators, we, it's, it's kind of weird when you look at the story, we've got two senators One's Republican, one's a Democrat. That's um, Gillibrand and Lummis, who introduced a essentially a Bitcoin slash crypto bill, right? Mm -hmm. So a bipartisan bill that that to some degree blesses Bitcoin and the other crypto assets, right? I wouldn't. I don't know that it blesses them so much as that it creates a framework to include them within the existing system. Fair enough. Fair enough. But but with that comes a sort of a de facto blessing that if it's if it's incorporated into the existing system, then it's OK to buy, sell and use them. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we've got these three other senators who are complaining that an individual company is allowing people to buy. And it, by the way, there are a couple of interesting things with Fidelity. It's Bitcoin only. This yes. is one of the first stories we've seen, which is Bitcoin only uh, for things like that. Like I'm going to say, like some kind of corporate adoption that's Bitcoin only. Yeah. And, well, and yeah. go ahead. In January of this year, um, they actually put out like a 25 page paper um, say, you know, about why investors need to consider Bitcoin separately mm -hmm. from other digital assets and they've done their research and it's not, I mean, you're talking about fidelity. They are one of the largest holders of retirement accounts in this country. Um, I don't know how many dollars under management they have in, in retirement plans, but it's huge. And, you know, they, they don't do anything um, lightly. I think that mm -hmm. they have a tremendous amount of exposure if they are putting their clients into investments that are uh, unreasonably risky. And so I don't see a scenario where Fidelity is going to just, you know, a push for a Bitcoin allocation of 401ks uh, willy nilly without really understanding it or thinking that it's a good idea. No, they had, they had meetings upon meetings upon meetings in order to approve this. Right. It's like the, we talked right. about last week with the with the mm -hmm. Parisian bank that that mm -hmm. this is not like you can just say, oh, we're going to do this. And then it happens. There are multiple layers of bureaucracy within a company that size, especially one that's so heavily regulated. There's no way that they're going to do this if they're not comfortable that that it's reasonable. And so I think that Fidelity understands Bitcoin. I don't really know what the senator's motivation is other than the fact that um you know, Wall Street has some interest in in not allowing Bitcoin, um, just in the sense that you know brokers are not making money off of Bitcoin. Um, it's not traded like a like a like equities in that sense. Um, but even the point of volatility is something that's kind of a a silly misdirection because. Um, if you're talking about retirement funds, you're not talking about money that's typically going to be needed um, in the short term. You're talking about, uh, mm -hmm. you know, unless you're getting close to retirement age, I would imagine the large percentage of the workforce and those who have 401k plans are probably on the younger side. So if you look mm -hmm. at Bitcoin's performance over the past 10 years, um, yeah, there's volatility, but it's volatility all the way up.
200% a year or whatever it is. Mm. So, um, mm. so I think that, you know, that, that, that answers the volatility question for me anyway. Yeah. I think there are a couple other things here. One is that to my knowledge and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, there is no restriction on you emptying out your bank account, your your legitimate life savings. Let's just say you've saved up a million dollars. It's not retirement, of course, because you can't access that, but you have a million dollars in your non-retirement account you've saved up. Do you know of any restriction that would not let you take that money out and spend it on lottery tickets? You can do that. The, the The only restriction is that it's hard to buy a million lottery tickets. <laughs> that's what I've heard. But but the lottery is essentially gambling that's run by the government, right? Hmm? With a horrible, horrible payout. So you can take your life savings. You can take a million dollars. You can take $10 million. There's actually a story of a guy that did that. He like tried to buy almost every single ticket, and it was like a military operation. They had some hangups, and... It turned out they actually did want it and they did win it and they were profitable. It was, they stopped it after that, but it was like this almost like a D day operation, but yeah. you can do that. You can also, you can also have your money in a retirement account and you can pick the biggest, you can pick the five biggest pieces of junk stocks that you possibly can. Like you could buy into, I know we talked about this last week, like Radio Shack is like Radio Shack yeah. is going out of business because iPhone is eating everything you buy at Radio Shack. But you couldn't, there's no restriction you buying the worst five stocks in the market, right? Sure. And here's another crazy stat for you. 90% of mutual funds don't beat the S&P 500. So there's an right. argument to be made that 90% of mutual funds should be illegal. But there's nothing to stop you from buying Fidelity's worst performing mutual fund and losing a bunch of money. So I don't know. I, I don't want to. I don't have a great answer on what this is really about. I don't really know. But what I do know is that when I, and I don't know if you agree or disagree, I'm curious, when I recognize now the then they fight you, it makes me think that they know that the, they know that what they are fighting against um, has some real substance. So even though their letter to Fidelity says, oh, it's the most speculative, it's the biggest piece of garbage, you know, how can you let people buy such, such an awful thing in their retirement account? Their actions say something very different. If I'm, if my analysis is right, which is that they know that Bitcoin is real, they know that uh, it may have some real value to the world, and because of that, they are engaging in the then they fight you phase. Right, and I, and I think two things. One is that when you, in the context of that, you know, that quote, the they also understand that the fourth section of that quote is then you win. Mm -hmm. And so they have to do anything that they can to not lose. And so, you know, one way I guess that they could do that in theory is to just try to convince people who don't know any better that, you know, because they say it's bad, it must be bad. The other thing is in particular, I think with Elizabeth Warren, I would see that she's, knowing her her kind of political positions and and how she views a lot of economic issues she's very much in favor of a cbdc um she would love to see a fed coin come out um that's you know that would be just the the greatest thing you know to happen to mm -hmm. the us monetary system mm -hmm. in her mind mm -hmm. as far as i can tell so you know it's just it's another way to kind of put up uh, an obstacle um to stop Bitcoin from uh, from from beating out a potentially uh, federally managed currency, cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll see how this plays out. Uh, I don't like I don't love speculating, although it's kind of part of what we do is speculate about these different things. But um, I think it is interesting that you've got three senators that are putting their name out there to say this is bad. And I, I think that the objective, if nothing else, we could agree that it's to slow down adoption. You put it out there, it gets picked up by newspapers, it gets picked up or 
media publications, whatever you want to call them. And we came across it and we're not the only ones that kind of come across it. And there'll probably be quite a few people that read this that know nothing about Bitcoin. Let's say they get to, I'm going to make up a number, 30% of their, you know, the, what would be Bitcoin's target audience. And, and there are people that will read this, say, oh, can you believe it? Like Fidelity is trying to do this horrible thing with this horrible thing called Bitcoin. And fortunately, we have these three wonderful senators out there trying to protect us. Right. Well, what it will do, even if it doesn't elevate the, uh, the senator's position, uh, I do think that we are in the then they fight you phase in general in the U.S. to some degree. We're seeing some different things in some other countries. But there's definitely between Gary Gensler and the SEC not adopting a spot Bitcoin ETF mm -hmm. between Elizabeth Warren and Dick Durbin. I forgot the other person's name. Tina Smith from Minnesota. Tina Smith. I've never heard of her coming out and uh, and saying that, well, what Fidelity is doing here is a terrible idea. I think it's in some ways I view it as like speed bumps more than roadblocks, meaning they're annoying. They do slow you down. It's not really going to stop you from getting to where you're trying to go. But uh, who knows? Uh, maybe maybe they feel that if they can slow it down enough, they can get to maybe the CBDC will be ready. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I will say that as we wrap up this segment, I do, I do like it when we see the then they fight you part because that confirms to me that there's real substance behind it. They wouldn't be fighting you if they didn't need to fight you. Yeah, if, the, if, if it was... If it wasn't worth fighting, they would just ignore it and they wouldn't, they wouldn't exactly. even get to step two. Right. They wouldn't even get to laughing at you. <laughs> so, um, all right. Well, uh, you want to go to the next one? Sure. All right. Next story. Iran amends regulations to ease crypto miners access to renewable energy. So um, I thought this was a, a interesting article in the sense that you see Iran doing all kinds of different things around Bitcoin mining. And I, and I think a lot of it, um, so, or at least some of it stemmed from the fact that that uh, Bitcoin mining was being done a lot on the household level. And I think it was having some impact on their overall energy grid because it was just basically people plugging in ASICs in their homes or in you know some area that, that was not really optimized for uh, mining Bitcoin the right way. So they've, they've banned mining. They've asked miners to, uh, to shut down during the, the summer months when it's hot and they need the electricity for air conditioning. They've, I think they have fined people and confiscated. I read somewhere that they've, that the, the ministry of energy or whatever the, the, uh, governing body is there has, seized hundreds of thousands of, of mining rigs from um, people that are, you know, that were illegally or secretly mining in Iran. Um, and so now they've come back out and said, well, we're going to change the rules so that if you are going to use renewable energy to mine Bitcoin, not only are we going to let you do it, we're going to make sure you can do it um, at a cheap price. Somewhat fascinating. Actually, it is fascinating. So this, I don't know, do you, this might be the then you win phase, right? Seems like a win if you want to mine Bitcoin in Iran and you weren't able to. I, I, I read that the, one of the articles said there were 7,000 mining facilities in the country. <laughs> Could that be right? I, who knows? But um, this is interesting because in, in a period of a year, I think, Iran has gone from allowing it to banning it to now saying, okay, we'll allow it and we'll even help you get the renewable energy. Is that right? Yeah. Um, they said, well, not necessarily that we'll help you get it, but that they're going to make sure that it's affordable. Affordable. So on the one hand, we have the U.S. and I would say Iran is, is one of our global adversaries are certainly not an ally of the United States. And this, I think in some ways highlights just how, when you think about Bitcoin, you have to think about things in terms of global. I think there are 196 countries in the world. 
something like that. Yeah. And there's, there's, there's an interest for all of them. There's how this, how this all plays out and the, uh, like the, uh, global political and economic conflicts between the countries be very interesting to see what happens here because uh, Bitcoin, a lot of Bitcoin is game theory. And so we have we have two countries here with the U.S. and Iran. Iran is now, I don't want to say they're really supporting it because you can mine, the U.S. is the world leader in mining Bitcoin. And the, uh, the Fidelity story had nothing to do with mining it. Right. But we are seeing that um, different countries have different objectives, and it's very difficult to stop all 196 countries from going, <laughs> from adopting Bitcoin, or, or it's very difficult to make all 196 countries go in the same direction, regardless of what direction you're trying to get them to go in. Sure. Um, by the way, I did look up, um, and it was, yes, there were almost 7,000 facilities um, mining I don't know if it was only Bitcoin, but but Bitcoin and, and other cryptocurrency mining. Um, and they confiscated hundreds of thousands of mining devices. And uh, most of these had been subsidized with like household electricity. And but at the same time, it was a it was a popular way for you know people in Iran to make extra money by mining. So mm. I guess, you know they they found some compromise there where they're they're allowing it to happen in a way that you know won't s cause people to die of heat in the summer <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's kind of fascinating the the whole bitcoin mining idea that if you think about if you want to start a business and you want to make money you want to make money doing anything if you want to be a bricklayer and you want to sell your services you have to put out a pretty significant amount of work and risk in order to make money. But with Bitcoin, you can buy a computer, plug it into the wall, essentially. I understand your electricity cost is going to be significant, but you don't have to do anything. You don't have to market anything. You don't have to get any customers. You can just literally plug it in, find the the best miner you can find the cheapest electricity you can. And there is an economic incentive for you to do this. And because of that, you've got 7,000 facilities mm -hmm. in, in, in Iran trying to do it. Yeah. That are basically, like you said, taking a machine home and plugging it in more or less. I mean, well, it, it's, there's a thing there. It shows you just how difficult it is to stop Bitcoin. Yep. All right. So, what's next? All right. The next one, um, this one I thought was interesting. Um, the Law Commission of England proposes a new form of property for Bitcoin. So, you know, the uh, the thing here is that the in England, there are currently two types of property um, from a legal perspective, you know, how property is defined. And the two things are things in possession and things in action. Now, things in possession, I can understand easily. That's something that you have. That's a, and it's defined as a tangible object that can be held or touched, um, which such as, you know, a gold coin or something like that. Um, that's clearly not Bitcoin. Um, mm -hmm. And then property categorized as a thing in action is a, con a concept or an idea that's upheld through legal actions or proceedings. So, um, I suppose that could include like intellectual property, um, you know, those types of intangible assets. Um, did you, did you quite understand what they meant by a thing in action? Well, my guess was, so my first answer is no, I didn't understand exactly what they meant by a thing in action, but I would assume that a stock, uh, like a stock certificate, even though it's not really something, you know, we don't really have physical stock certificates anymore that sure. could be upheld through legal actions or proceedings meaning i have property rights i can you know i can go through this and say that that is my asset right or if I you have a contract that, that can that conveys something even though mm -hmm. you don't have physical possession of it i guess that could establish certain property rights um but regardless um according to 
to the UK, Bitcoin doesn't fit into either of those categories. Um, so they've proposed creating a third category, which would be the addition of what they're calling data objects as a form of property. So a data object is data that's represented in an electronic medium, um, which could be computer code, um, you know, any type of, of computer systems, networks, um, and they exist independently of people and the legal system, meaning that, you know, it, it's got to be separable from, from an individual's rights or someone's legal rights. Um, and so a Bitcoin, you know, UTXO, which, which is an unspent transaction, which could also be, you know, if you don't understand what a UTXO is, it's basically the balance sitting in a Bitcoin address um, is made up of one or more UTXOs. Um, and when you spend Bitcoin, you're taking one of those unspent outputs and turning it into um, an input that's being sent somewhere else. So, um, so that, that fits the definition of a data object because one of the, 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 they're saying that they use the term uh, rivalrous, meaning that uh, no two mm -hmm. people can simultaneously use the same data object, meaning that if I have a UTXO and I own the private keys to that address, you cannot also spend that Bitcoin. Only I can spend it. So that establishes a property right since I control the ability to uh, convey that property. Yeah, this, this what they're doing with this without getting into the weeds on it, because I don't, to be honest, I don't really understand the weeds that much. And the, the, the stories that we're able to read about this don't do a great job of explaining it. But from a broader macro picture, what we see here is that England is looking for a way, or the United Kingdom, I should say, is looking for a way to... I guess the term is regulate the well, regulate digital assets. They're looking for a way these, all these governments have to figure out a way to deal with this new technology. And that new technology is not just Bitcoin, sure. even though the, the best form of that new technology is almost certainly Bitcoin. The reality is, is that, there are 20,000 of them out there. It's become part of the public consciousness. And if we go back to that, you know, first they ignore you. Um, this is just too much for these governments to ignore. And this isn't, this isn't the United Kingdom laughing. This isn't the United Kingdom fighting. This is kind of more in the then you win phase because they, well, they just have to figure out what to do here. And that's globally. I think every, well, that's right. every country and, and has to figure out what to do. This isn't, this is not regulation. Um, this is kind of the precursor to regulation as mm -hmm. I see it. Exactly. This is them. The problem they had was they said, we want to be able to regulate it or we want, and maybe, and I'm using regulate regulation. I'm not, that's not necessarily a negative idea. You know, I like to, rather than just saying regulate, I like to say incorporated into the existing system. Um, you know, in the existing financial system, it, it's going to mm -hmm. have to work with the with side by side with the fiat system, um, you know, unless and until it replaces that system, it's going to be working, you know, somewhat in parallel and crossing over it at some points as well. And so I think what they said is that, look, if we want to be able to to regulate it or incorporate it into the legal framework of our country, it doesn't fit the definitions that exist. So we have to come up with a better definition. And what I actually kind of like about this definition, um, and you and I have talked about this before, you know, the idea of software um, code being, being free speech, um, mm -hmm. that, you know, th this isn't exactly the same thing, but it's kind of along the same lines where you're kind of saying you're taking a, a data object, which represents um, some level of, um, you know, computer processing in order to establish what that is um, as kind of its own asset class. Yeah, which is kind of what it needs to be. 
I think that I think for a lot of these politicians, and I'm not trying to 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 knock on the politicians because I think it would be the same for almost any group. They just don't know what the stuff is. They don't even know where to begin. And it's it's changing or it's attacking money, which is fundamental to how societies work. And it's one thing where you have a, a, a more powerful video camera that can, you know, which we all do right now. I mean, most of us are walking around with a 4K video camera in our pocket in the U.S. Right. But it's different than a, you know, fancier phone or fancier camera or faster car or better GPS technology. This is something that's more foundational to life itself and it's new and you know my my thought experiment is if you went to like a continuing education class for attorneys so let's say you have 500 attorneys who are there and it's a continuing education class so they're going to be kind of across the spectrum as far as how um how young or how old they would be, right? It's it's a pretty mm-hmm. broad group. How many of the five hundred attorneys would be a would have a a above average understanding of Bitcoin and with it the broader crypto market out of five hundred? Mm, I would guess maybe one or two. Oh, I was going to be generous. I was going to say five to 10. I was going to say maybe so, five at the most. Yeah. And... and so how do you expect the politicians to know this? What makes you think that they, you know, when they go to sleep at night, they don't put headphones on that, that like educate them, right? They're very busy people. Say what you want about them. They're very busy people sure. spending a good chunk of their time fundraising, not studying or reading. So, I think it's unfair to expect them to really understand. And so this thing in England, you know, they, they basically hired this commission to kind of figure things out for them and to, to help them to find some things. And I think we agree this is step one of getting, uh, of, of figuring out a way to incorporate digital assets into the existing monetary system. Mm-hmm. Positive yeah. step um, though. I think it is, I, you know, I, it depends what they do with it, obviously. But yeah. I think based on what I'm reading on how they're defining it, um, it seems like a it seems like a rational way to approach the problem. So hopefully that will continue. Yeah, we'll see. I'm I'm sort of waiting for and I don't know if we've if we passed that point yet where there's just this really big pushback against Bitcoin. Right now, I don't know. I, there's there are different ways to look at it. You could look at it. Well, we're kind of past the point of no return, and what are you going to do with this thing that is worldwide that you simply cannot stop? You can't write it. Uh, I mean, they do write nasty articles about it, but mm-hmm. it's just no matter what you do, Bitcoin's going to put down another block every ten minutes, and and it would take such an enormous worldwide concerted effort from i don't know how many of the 196 countries to stop it that i just think they have to figure out a way to navigate and learn to live with it but with that i'm not sure i i uh i do not trust the politicians i don't think anyone (laughs) should really trust the politicians they are we were talking about this right before we started this, that there are people that like to move atoms. They like to build things. They like to move things. They like to create things. And then there are people that like to manipulate people. And politicians have a great skill at manipulating people. They don't have usually a great skill at manipulating atoms or building or creating. But their skill, that, that's how you become a politician. That's how you become a, That's how you get elected is you learn to manipulate people. So right, because you get to the point where your job as a politician is more focused on, you know, you getting reelected and 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 maintaining your power um, as opposed to actually, you know, doing things that are really beneficial for society. So you get to that point where there's just they don't have a whole lot of incentive to uh, to understand these things that really can help 
society in, in a lot in meaningful ways. Yeah, and they also don't have any incentive to think long term because it's not beneficial to them. They need to think short term. I guess you would say they have a very high time preference. And that's why we've got $31 trillion in debt. No one wants to be the guy right. or, or the the man or the woman to 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 try and put a curb on this. So as long as I can, as long as as long as I'm able to stay in power, the problems don't matter. In fact, I can create more problems as long as I'm able to stay in power. There, there really is no incentive to make the world a better place. So we'll see how it plays out. I, I like to see anything. I like to see any attempts to try to incorporate it into the, the current financial system. Yeah. So, and I think um, one thing that was really smart about the Lummis Gillibrand bill, and and hopefully this will be a good segue into the next story, is that you know there's still not enough of a differentiation between Bitcoin and all of the other crypto. Um, we talked about that at length a couple of weeks ago um, on the show, and you know in, in the wake of of some of the exchanges melting down. But you know, this next story is a good example of um, something that's not Bitcoin. Um, you know, so Nomad, Nomad Bridge what, is a platform that allows you to move tokens between blockchains. Um, and so there was a an update to the code, or maybe it was in the original code. I think I read that it was part of some routine upgrade where there was a change to the code. And essentially, there was a weakness in the code that allowed you to basically spoof the messaging system. I mean, any of these, even Bitcoin, it, it really is just a messaging system. You're telling a network a certain set of data that is then used to um, create you know, inputs and outputs that, uh, that amount to a transfer of value. So um, what happened here was that there, and I'm not going to explain this in any technical way because I'm not technical, but essentially there's kind of a step one that's a check to see if, if you can go to step two and step two would allow, you to, would allow you to move these tokens. And there was an exploit in the code where you could basically just check the box on step one without it questioning it and then move on to step two. So you could just basically copy and paste your wallet address and just start moving tokens. And over the course of uh, several hours, it was not just one attacker. There were many, many attackers because the first person who figured it out did it and other people saw that it was happening and they figured it out and they just jumped on and started doing it themselves. And before you know it, there's $200 million of cryptocurrency um, sucked out of this platform um, and given to who knows who knows where it went, mm. um, but um, but essentially it was just a draining of all of the funds that were sitting on this platform, and um, and there's really no way to get it back at that point. Mm. No, I think the article said there were hundreds of potential exploiters. Like it really just kind of blew up. This someone found it, and it didn't take long. It was like in a matter of hours. Yeah. Then they just took their own wallet address. They yeah. copied and pasted into the you know, into a transaction and started pulling coins into, into their wallet. And these coins, I don't, there were several of them, but I think it was some form of uh, wrapped Bitcoin, wrapped ether, uh, some, I think some USDC stable coins. Um, but it was basically, um, it was, it was, you know, it was not on the Bitcoin network. It was not even on the Ethereum network necessarily, um, mm -hmm. but it was um, it was a bunch of other coins that were moving between blockchains across this Nomad bridge mm -hmm. um, when they got intercepted and stolen. Mm -hmm. But uh, the, go ahead. Oh, I, to me, you know, when you see the story, and you've seen twenty just like it, and I might be exaggerating with twenty, but it's like same story, different day, right? Yeah, I think they the said that there's time. been yeah, there, there's been like two billion dollars worth of this of this type of exploit this year. Yeah, there's there's a website where you can go to. I think Jameson Lop runs it. 
he keeps a list of all of the the exploits from different networks and they're just they're common and and that reminds me of something i heard from michael saylor i don't know if he said it this week or just a, a video of his that i watched this week which was that you can't well you sometimes get this question why can't i just what's a stop zone for making a, a, another bitcoin what's a stop mm -hmm. zone from just creating their own bitcoin and and he addressed that and he said well you need for it to be running like perfectly for five years before you can even talk about there being a second Bitcoin because no one would ever trust a new network. And, and by the way, the Bitcoin network, I think has been up and running. There's, there's, there is a count of it, but I believe it's been up and running for over 10 years with zero yeah. downtime. It's like, yeah, the, the uptime is like 90, literally 99.999% or 99% right. something like right. that. There's, it's, with, with, it, with, with no network administrator. Right. Right. There's no CTO. There's no server room. There's no server room. <laughs> right. So uh, to me, it just, it, it, to me, it's like, okay, these things are, when you start getting into all the stuff cross, you know, um, what do they call it? Uh, cross network payments and wrapped Bitcoin and wrapped Ethereum. Why it's, it's not, it's not something we, we, we really believe in. I'm speaking for you here, but I know we don't yeah. really believe much in the stuff. There is this, it's really amazing asset. I, I would go so far as to say I'm, I'm anti that stuff. It's, it, it's, yeah, it's I don't even yeah. listen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great. Um, so, so, so but, another, and that was kind of example. Yeah. And, and I, but you know, the point I was making as we got into this article is that I think, unfortunately, you're going to have to see a lot of these, um, platforms and tokens just get destroyed, um, you know, and, and Bitcoin is going to be left standing and, or at least it's going to be, you know, so obviously superior to pretty much any of these other cryptocurrencies in terms of the security of the network, the reliability of the network, the, uh, the monetary policy, all of those things are just far superior to anything else out there. And, you know, the comment about, well, who's going to come along and create a better Bitcoin? Well, the first question is, what are you going to do differently? Um, because even if you have criticisms of certain aspects of Bitcoin, I, I think there are, there are solutions to those criticisms. Um, number one, but, and, and number two, you've got a true first mover advantage in Bitcoin. It, like you said, mm -hmm. it's been up and running for over 10 years. You're not going to catch up to it at that point. It's proven. Well, if you start something new, you're going to have to have someone in charge of it. That's one of the problems with Ethereum is that they can just change it. They do change it. There's, there's, there's someone in charge. There is a person or a group in charge of what it's going to do. And if you were to start a new Bitcoin, you're going to have the same thing. You know, who's, who's in charge of this thing? Who's, who is the captain of the ship? And what's so unique about Bitcoin is there, there really is no captain of the ship, which is what makes it so difficult for governments to deal with. Yeah. Or one of the things that makes it so difficult for governments to deal with. Yeah. All right, let's go on to the, the next story. Um, this is a, another adoption story. Honduras attracts crypto investor tourists with Bitcoin Valley. Um, Bitcoin Valley, it appears to be a similar concept to Bitcoin Beach. There's the mm -hmm. Bitcoin jungle we've seen in Costa Rica. You've got the um, Prospero that's being built, the Madeira, all of these kind of smaller uh, Bitcoin economies that are starting to pop up um, and allow people to you know, go to places where they can use uh, Bitcoin and participate in a Bitcoin economy. Yeah, I, I, my the and my theory on this, and I could be wildly wrong, but here's my theory: <laughs> tourism in El Salvador is exploding. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't have the actual stats in front of me, but in every one of these articles, we see the world El Salvador mentioned. I'm just, just thinking that. If you were to see that there was this country that people didn't really like El Salvador is not particularly highly thought of. 
as a country. It was, certainly wasn't this like tourist spot that people were flocking to. Right. All if, of a sudden, if you're gonna if you're gonna list out you know Latin American countries to go on vacation, um, you know El Salvador was not has never historically been at the top of that list. In fact, it's probably one of the countries that be <laughs> struck first from your list because of the issues with gang violence and some other things there. So sure. while it has some beautiful things there, and while there's certainly people that went there, it, it wasn't a hot spot. All of a sudden, uh, El Salvador is kind of a hot spot, and it's attracting people with money. These Bitcoiners, they have money and they want to spend Bitcoin. So I think these other small places are like, hey, you know, what does it hurt us if we do that? Let's let's see if we can get in on that. And I see the this Honduras thing as being just a little bit like that. Um, and then there's another way to look at it, which is something we heard at the Bitcoin conference in Miami from Simon Mao, which is that if you think if you're waiting for a giant country, let's say a country like Brazil, because they they they're really adopting a lot of stuff right now. To make Bitcoin legal tender, if you're looking for Mexico to make Bitcoin legal tender, big countries, that's probably not going to happen. It's going to start in a more kind of a grassroots way. You're going to get a, a town here, a city there, and and it, it will start much smaller and expand from there. And I think we have another story. Actually, I know we do, which is similar to this, which is the next one up which I think is in, uh, I'm blanking on the name of it now. Gibraltar. Gibraltar. Uh, similar, and Gibraltar's talking about uh, also using the Lightning Network. Mm -hmm. So it's a similar thing where we have these, uh, these smaller jurisdictions who are looking to incorporate this and see if they can get some kind of boost from accepting Bitcoin or using the Lightning Network. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of this, you know, popping up in smaller places. And, and you know, I'd love to see this start to happen in certain places in the U.S. I think that there's been um, very little, you know, adoption at that level in the U.S. Um, I think there's been some, you know, ideas floating around of, you know, a state, potentially proposing some sort of legal tender bill for the state, um, which, you know, that I could see that happening or maybe within some smaller municipality to start with. But, you know, if you could, if you get to a point where you can pay certain city, state or local taxes in Bitcoin, um, you know, that's a, that would be a game changer almost at any level in this country. Mm -hmm. One of the things I thought was neat about this story was that uh, in particular, they talked about being able to buy coffee with Bitcoin. There's a chain called mm -hmm. Costa Coffee. I'm not familiar with them, but it's apparently very popular. And so there's this whole thing. Well, you know, how can it be a currency if you can't buy a coffee with it? Like, you, know, you can't buy coffee with Bitcoin. And we talked about that in a, probably several prior episodes. And to be honest, you can't. I mean, you can buy coffee with Bitcoin. It's not a very good way to buy coffee. It's a terrible way right. to buy coffee. But, but buying coffee over Lightning is a great way to buy coffee. And by the way, this is a, uh, a British territory. Mm -hmm. And so a number of the tourist things there, Hotel Chocolate, Card Factory, Gibraltar Bakery, uh, they're all accepting Bitcoin over the Lightning Network. And so great. we, ha it's great. We have the ability for people to go. And I don't know if this is about attracting the tourism or, or what it's actually, you know, what the, the, the true uh, incentive is behind it. But we have two stories like this this week. Yeah. We have, it seems like we have one or two every week. So mm -hmm. it's, you know, and, mm -hmm. and they're, they're all different places. So I, I think it's great to see you've got you know places literally all over the world um recognizing that this is a viable way to transact and putting things in place to make that happen mm -hmm. and um, and people are still so focused on the bitcoin price like that's a barometer 
of how Bitcoin is doing. And in reality, there, there's some truth to that, that if the Bitcoin price was at a million dollars a coin, that is a barometer on how Bitcoin is doing. But in order to really understand what Bitcoin is doing, you have to pay attention to what jurisdictions are adopting it, how they're adopting it, what their use of lightning is in that adoption process. Mm -hmm. And without all of those data points, and there are a number of data points in there, and without all those data points, you're really not getting any kind of real understanding of what is going on with Bitcoin uh, other than what is it trading for right now? What is the current price of it? And, right. and it's amazing. I'm sure you've had a number of these discussions where you're talking to someone who doesn't know much about Bitcoin, and we're not trying to be ugly about that, but they will, they will take the price of Bitcoin and extrapolate from that what's really going on with Bitcoin. Right. Without including any of these other pieces. So um, I, I love to see lightning adoption anywhere I can see lightning adoption. And uh, these small little tourist areas, I think is... Think it's a a good step, and it's it's part of a maybe a bigger. I don't know if grassroots is the right word here. I you think probably so. a better word than me. Yeah, you know, just just to to grow it. You know, little dots all over the place, and eventually those dots are going to connect together. Absolutely, and it's also right. it's not yeah. difficult. Sorry, one more thing. It's not difficult. So it's not difficult for these places to come out and do this. So could we have had the Gibraltar story? without El Salvador? Would we have had Madeira and the, the other place that adopted it without the people that came before? So now when these stories come out, they barely get any attention. I bet you the, the, the people who are following Bitcoin, and there are people who follow Bitcoin as closely, if not more closely than we do. I wonder how many of them are focused on these stories. Yeah, and it's- I haven't know, heard much about this week. No. And, and I think we, uh, you know, we talked about this uh, many episodes ago about the famous video of the, the guy dancing by himself at the music festival mm. and, mm. and he's, you know, dancing like a freak. And, and, if, you know, this probably en encapsulates the, uh, the quote at the beginning of this episode, the, you know, first they ignore you. Mm. And so you got this one guy dancing, nobody's paying attention. And then, you know, someone starts filming him because they're making fun of him and they're laughing. Um, and then, yeah, and then you know there was it was a music festival, so everybody was you know being being happy, so there wasn't much fighting. But the next thing you know, another guy comes up and starts dancing, and someone comes up and starts dancing with him, and before you know it, you've got you know a, a horde of people just dancing like uh, like just maniacs. absolute maniacs. So mm -hmm. um, you know, I think there's uh, something to be said there. El Salvador was clearly that guy who was confident enough to get up in the middle of the field and, and dance like a maniac. And, uh, and now you, and that really does give kind of permission for other people to get up and dance with them. You could actually have a kind of an interesting vacation, just jumping between the different spots that are accepting Bitcoin right now. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Uh, the next story we talk about Brazil every week, it seems like, um, so this is a uh, banking giant uh, Santander to offer Bitcoin and crypto services in Brazil. Um, I think I read it in the article. I don't remember, but it was a significant number of customers, a couple million customers. Is that right? Uh, I, they're the third largest private bank in the country. I know that. Um, and and more than the actual, some of the actual numbers is, is what's going on in Brazil. Yeah. I mean, I, and, and Brazil? we saw another thing today that you, I know we talked about the new bank, um, mm -hmm. a few weeks ago and we were, t we were talking about it in the sense that, you know, Warren Buffett, who is notoriously, um, hostile towards Bitcoin, um, along with his right-hand man, Charlie Munger, um, happened to be investors in the uh, new bank in Brazil. And, you know, like a month since they started offering um, Bitcoin and crypto trading, they're up to over a million customers that are doing that in like a month. That's crazy. That's, that's really crazy. So 
there's something going on in Brazil. I don't really know what's behind it. Do you have any any ideas? What are your thoughts on what's going on with Brazil? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. I, I think Brazil, um, I think the, you know, some of the, the way that society is made up there, I think lends itself to, um, to there being a need for people to be more financially included. You've got a lot of very, it's a, you know, very heavily populated country. Um, you know, Sao Paulo and Rio are two huge, huge cities and some of the most population dense in the world. Um, and there's not much of a middle class. You've got a lot of, you know, people who, are at the very bottom and a lot of people who are more in control. And, you know, I think that there's, um, but at the same time, I think it's, you know, I'll use this term relatively, but it is somewhat of a free country. Um, mm. And so I think you've got um, a lot of people who see an opportunity to, you know, be able to participate in a financial system that, that they don't otherwise have access to. I don't know if that's it. I mean, I, I don't know. A good it's argument. A... I don't know if that's it. I think we should try and find someone that we can have on the show that might be able to answer us. We'd have to interview them beforehand to see how much they knew, how much they know. But I, I think we should try and get to the bottom of what's going on in Brazil because we're just seeing it's and it's it's coming fast. I mean, it's every week we're seeing something, and then that crazy adoption from Newbank. Because when I saw that story from Newbank, I didn't think it was going to be that impactful i just think that you know these financial institutions are putting they're putting infrastructure in place for what they see as inevitable but when you get a million people on there in that short period of time there's something something in the water in brazil Man, and there's absolutely demand 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 so um i'm gonna i'm gonna look into that i'd really like to get that answer there's there's something happening there and i think I think we might be overlooking it. I'm not sure. We, we certainly highlighted the stories. No, I, I, we certainly know what's going on, but but we know the what. We just don't know the why. Yeah, I mean, I would say, and I would kind of take El Salvador out of this, but when you're talking about adoption, um, I would say that by far Brazil has been the most common country we've talked about in terms of adoption. Um, when we have headlines related to, you know, institutions allowing their customers to access it. Um, Brazil's always, always there. Yeah. Seems to be, seems to be, well, let's, we're, we're going to get to the bottom of that. I'd like we'll to circle back on that. that. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. I, mm -hmm. I agree. Um, okay. Well, um, our last story, um, Bitwage partners with Casa and Edge Wallet for streamlined Bitcoin payroll services. So this is an interesting one. You know, uh, again, just another um, adoption. We see Bitwage pop up also from time to time in adoption stories when you hear, um, you know, where people have made deals, specifically athletes, to get paid in Bitcoin. I think the story that we had um uh, there was one last week that where there was a uh, UFC fighter, paid, UFC fighter getting paid in Bitcoin, right. and that was being facilitated by Bitwage. Um, and interestingly, we don't have a uh, sports story this week, so we're off of sports this week. But but uh, you know, just like we see BitPay being very uh, uh, common in retailers and merchants accepting Bitcoin. Um, now we're starting to see this company Bitwage that's allowing people to incorporate Bitcoin into their payroll. And that's really, you know, the companies that want to run their their treasury on, you know, any level of a Bitcoin standard um, by partnering with Bitwage, they're able to um, to pay their employees, you know, at some level partially in Bitcoin. And I think what was interesting about this was that it was kind of a seamless um, setup, meaning that there's no copying and pasting of addresses essentially, you know, and, and I don't know the details of, of how it works with Casa or Edge Wallet, but knowing what I know about Casa, um, my guess is that, 
you're able to sign up at some point in time to have Bitcoin, you know, direct deposited into a wallet. Mm -hmm. And then BitWage is able to use, you know, the extended public keys from that wallet to just each week send your Bitcoin to one of your addresses within that wallet. And there's no copying or pasting of addresses. There's no, you know, checking every character. There's no plugging in your treasure or ledger to sign something. It's, you know, there's, uh, there's just a seamless integration so that it kind of behaves like any other account in a direct deposit setup. So let me make sure I have this straight. If you have a Casa account, and by the way, Casa does a, Casa does a great, great job with multi-sig. Casa is an awesome, awesome service and awesome company. One that we highly recommend. We are not sponsored by them. We do not get paid to say that, but they are. We're both customers. Mm -hmm. They're awesome. So, so let me get this straight. Instead of me getting paid and saying, okay, well, each week I want to buy, I want to buy, every time I get paid, I want to buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I do that, I'm, I'm now going to take fiat from my account. I'm going to buy it on some kind of exchange. After I have it on the exchange, I have to transfer it over to my Casa wallet. And then it sits in my Casa wallet, right? With this, are you able to just say, okay, take $100 from each paycheck and stick it in my Casa wallet and I do nothing? Yes. Well, that's effectively, awesome. yeah, yeah. Um, that's basically how it works. So it, it, it's cutting out several of those steps. I mean, you know, if you were to receive that payment, then you have to connect your bank account to some exchange. You have to then, you know, most likely you're paying, and then you're paying fees. I don't know, you know, if there's fees involved here, mm -hmm. but if you're dealing with an exchange, you got to pay to buy that Bitcoin, mm -hmm. and then. You know, especially if you're doing that with ACH, um, you're gonna have to wait some period of time before you can actually mm -hmm. move it to cold storage. So there's no good reason for any Bitcoin to sit on an exchange for any period of time, um, especially you know if you've got a uh, you, if you have a seven day hold because because of ACH um, potential you know potential ACH chargebacks, um, then you're leaving that Bitcoin on an exchange for some period of time. And this eliminates that. It's just basically saying, okay, you're going to get paid a thousand dollars, and nine hundred is going to go into your checking account, and a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin is going into your Casa or Edge wallet. So it's like a cold storage savings plan, an automated cold storage savings plan. Yeah, it's direct deposit into cold storage. Mm -hmm. And can that be done with any employer? Um, I think they would need to onboard it, but, um, but yeah, they, um, I think if a company wants to, um, use Bitwage for payroll service, then they would be able to incorporate that. Oh, oh, I see. So you, so you have to use Bitwage as your payroll service. Bitcoin is a, Bitwage is a Bitcoin payroll provider. So, um, so, and their, so their, their goal is to help. And, and I guess that that leads to another point which is is that if you're dealing if you work for a company that's on a bitcoin standard then there isn't any of this converting to fiat or picking a fiat amount it's how much you know it's it's put a million satoshis into my account every two weeks or whatever you know an interesting development certainly uh is certainly moving the ball forward quite a bit I didn't, I didn't really understand that well at first. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just thought it was just, you know, sort of our last story and it was a development, but that's, that's a very interesting idea to be able to take funds and have them automatically convert to Bitcoin and, which is easy. We can do that a number of ways. Um, Swan will do that for you very easily. A number of, most of the exchanges will do that for you to some degree, but to automatically move it into cold storage, um, that's a pretty neat savings plan you put there and you don't have to do anything. I like that. Yeah. Um, that was our last story. All right. Anything else? Um, not really. You got anything? No, no. 
Um, you know, we, we never know what's going to come up on any given week. We just try and find the most, we think are the most impactful stories. And I don't think there's anything really, I thought the England story this week was particularly significant. We'll see how that plays out. And of course, Brazil is just a real mystery. Yeah. What's going on we'll, we'll there? Get to but, the bottom of that one. but, but each week we're seeing another step. It's almost like uh, not to be uh, silly, but you know how Bitcoin puts down a, a block every 10 minutes. It's almost like every week we see just more adoption. We're not really seeing a whole lot of negativity. Uh, certainly not yet. We'll see what comes up in the future. Um, and Matt, unless you've got anything else, can you tell people where to find us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can visit our website, btcbutlers.com. Um, we're on Twitter at BTC Butlers. You can email us info at btcbutlers.com or DM us on Twitter. Um, as Michael said in the beginning, if you enjoyed this podcast, um, subscribe to it on your po favorite podcast platform or subscribe to our YouTube channel. If there are any topics that you would like to hear us cover, um, any questions you have, please feel free to reach out. We'd love to hear from you. And then lastly, uh, Bitcoin butlers can help you implement best practices for Bitcoin owners, whether that's buying Bitcoin, storing your Bitcoin, creating an inheritance plan for your Bitcoin or running your own node and keeping all of that up to date. Um, that's what we are here to do. And we would love to help you with any and all of those uh, services. So feel free to reach out if that's something you think we could help you with. Excellent. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. See you later. Bye. See you.